stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders? Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout, and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. Listening in Makawao, Hawaii, Croydon, England, Auckland, New Zealand, and all around the world, this is the Shot and Shield Supercast, the podcast dedicated to colonial and 12th century wargaming. I am your Buana Broadcasting, your steward of the skirmish, your host of the horde, Lord Scott of Florida. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. This episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast is brought to you by XBForge.com, my source for 3D printed terrain buildings and now 28mm Napoleonic figures and military vehicles. And for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use the coupon code SHOT15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOT15 to save 15%. Go now and check out xbforge.com. Do it. Tim's a great guy. He knows his stuff. and The 3D printing is outstanding. On today's Shot and Shield Supercast, Bob Merch, the brilliant sculptor, will be joining me to talk about Movember and the fundraiser for mental health. We talk about a few other things too. It's a good talk. I also have a movie review for you. The 1939 French Foreign Legion classic featuring Gary Cooper, Bo Guest. I have a new feature that I'm introducing called Scenario Builder with a scenario called Gunrunner. I'll be doing a product look and skim over of a new line of Central Asian play pieces from Fun Board Games, the Great Game Collection 1865-1880 to by the brilliant Vashislav Badalov. This episode is like chock full because I also have a watch along plan for us. The final battle scene from 1977's French Foreign Legion movie, March or Die, plus some email. I'll be closing the show today with an audio archaeological find that uh, has some interest for you, especially if you're if you like uh, the Boer War, you're interested in uh, Russian czars. I have a giveaway of 12 Perry figures for you from my personal collection. Also, we're going to hit the top five that we've had on Twitter and on the Facebook page. So as you can hear, this episode is seriously chock full of Wargaming-inspired goodness. Now, obviously, you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can hit me up on the Twitter, at Shot and Shield. There's also a Facebook group, okay? I got to tell you, I was hesitant to create a Facebook group because there's already so many great Facebook Wargame groups out there. And I got to tell you, I'm a member of all of them. <laughs> so as long as those admins of those groups don't mind me pimping shot and shield, then uh, that's okay. But I, but I have to tell you, I didn't want to take advantage of their groups. So I did create a Facebook group for shot and shield. It's called the shot and shield podcast war game group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, your creations. Uh, I, I love this game. I, I love wargaming. I love painting. And I just I want to see the goodness that you have. Just put it up there. Cause I, I swear I just love I love seeing that. There's some great stuff on there already uh, by some fantastic uh, painters, some fantastic wargamers, some great looking games, and it just is so inspiring. It's great. As for an update on my uh, Silk Road Wars project, which I have been working on for the last like three years. I wish I could report that it's coming along well. Uh, as I said earlier, it's all about time. I've not done a lot of painting. I've not done a lot of building of uh, the set and everything. But I will tell you uh, that I did make a decision 
regarding the British that I intend to use for the great game portion of my project, I decided to take a little bit of creative license. So instead of doing the old Gunga Din uh, pith helmet uh, group, so I'll be using the British infantry in flannel shirts and the Highland infantry from the foundry uh, Indian Mutiny 1857 line. And also, you know, like I said in the, in the past, I'm doing everything in 28 millimeter. I really want my tables to have like, I want my tables to have character. Because since I play a more Hollywood type game, I felt uh, that uh, this could really kind of do the trick. So I'm going to try, when I sit back down to do some painting, I am going to take a little creative license with the painting as well. Again, I want to have, when I put together a table, I want the table to just have a, like a ton of character to it. Because I think that the more character your table has, uh, I think it, it adds to the fun of the game. I really do. Because as you know, the character that your your map has, your, your board has, your terrain has, the character of your figures, you put that all together. And then you have you know, a, bunch of, a bunch of buddies around the table. Or if, or if you're at like Partisan or, or Gen Con, it just lends to the fun game. I, I think it just... It's meant to be fun, and if everything's done ex to the T historically, I think then you end up kind of going a little mental. I think we then we start taking everything too seriously. This is supposed to be a game where we escape from normal life, right? So like I said, I really like to have my tables to have a lot of character since I play more of a Hollywood-type game, and I really felt that uh, you know this would do the trick. And, and I'm playing a wide scope trying to cover about 50 years of material from 1845 to 1895 uh, focused in Central Asia. So, so that's, that's sort of where my head is. So before I take a, a timeout, I do want to pay respect to a buddy of ours, Jeff Coe, one of our wargaming warriors and a friend of the podcast. He sadly uh, passed away in July. Just a great wargamer, great friend of wargaming. Um, and he's like me. He liked the weird theaters. Um, just a weird theater enthusiast. And he was in the middle working on a Samarkand table. Uh, that, that sucks that that uh, probably will not get finished now, but uh, he will be greatly missed. You know, it's a downer when we lose one of our greats. You know what I'm saying? All right. Coming up next on the Shot and Shield Supercast, we're going to answer some of your emails. We also have a movie review coming up and our interview with Bob Merch. <laughs> This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants. So I have a giveaway for you. 12 28mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, which are perfect for the Crimean War. They're already primed, they're already mounted, and ready to paint. Anyone who follows Shot and Shield on Twitter or on the Shot and Shield Facebook group is entered to win. The Shot and Shield Twitter, at Shot and Shield. The Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. These are from my personal collection, and Perry's is not affiliated with this giveaway. Absolutely no purchase necessary. You have until November 25th to follow us on Twitter at Shot and Shield or on the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's going to be a random drawing, and the winner will be notified via DM and will be announced on the December 1st Shot and Shield episode. Get on the giveaway now. Remember, 12 
28mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, again, which is perfect for the Crimean War. Get in on the giveaway now. This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than it will me, I'm happy to say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. Discipline makes the strength of armies. Shot and Shield. And thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield. My name is Scott, your host, your guide today, as I do uh, as many times as possible with the Shot and Shield podcast. This podcast, as I've said, is dedicated to the great game, colonialism, the 19th century, um, war gaming. Obviously, there's other colonialism war games that we could talk about as well uh, on this podcast. Right now, I want to get an email in here, uh, an email from Neil listening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he writes, Scott, it's nice to have a podcast that is for us fans of Colonial Wargaming. I've listened to all your shows a few times and hope you get back to making them. My question is, why have you not spoken about Africa, the Zulus, Mahdi, French Foreign Legion, and the like? My friends and I wargame Zulus all the time and now are building our Mahdi forces. Also, you covered Crimea, which is not colonial, so why not the U.S. Civil War? or the Plains Indian Conflicts. Please do another show and cover these. Each show keeps getting better. Thank you and keep up the great work. Neil. Wow. Okay. So there's a thank you. Thank you for the love. Appreciate that. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's uh, start with, let's see, uh, question. Why have I not spoke more about Africa, Zulus, Mahdi, French Foreign Legion, and the like? Well, uh, let's get the French Foreign Legion out of the way real quick. Later in this program, I'm going to be doing an, a review of March or Die, the French Foreign Legion film. As far as the Zulus and Mahdi go, when I first started Colonial Wargaming, it was based on the first movie I saw, Zulu Dawn. Like, it was, it was the first colonial movie that I saw where I was like, ooh, I want to play this as a war game. I was wargaming U.S. Civil War. I was wargaming uh, World War II. But I saw Zulu Dawn, and then I said, ah, that's great. Uh, ES, uh, ESCI, or ECSI, Asia? ESCI, the, the plastic model company at the time, had Zulus, and they also had some British colonials. And at the time, I didn't realize that metal existed. But after I saw Zulu Dawn, I, I jumped right in. I will tell you, the thing with the Zulus, for me, wargaming, this is going to sound heretical, but I think it's boring. I do. I'm sorry. You know, I maybe it's the games I'm playing or the games I played uh, with the Zulus, but it's sort of like you could do Rourke's Drift or you can do Islandawanda, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've always had a problem with that. Islandawanda, right? When it came to the techniques or the, um, when it came to the tactical or the the strategy of the game. It's sort of like if you're if you're British, you got to hold your ground, and if you're Zulu, you got to use your use your cover. And it was very tough to always get the right balance to where the Zulus had a chance, and the British weren't destroyed immediately. So after painting up a bunch of figures and putting up the board and playing, I just kind of lost interest. I did. I lost interest in in that whole deal. Now with the Mahdi, I did the same thing. I'm not saying that it was boring. I'm just saying that unless you're playing an imagination game where you can play skirmish level deals, you got to have 5,000 figures against 20 figures of British. So you got to have 5,000 figures of the Mahdi forces and 20 figures of the British forces. And the British forces are probably going to win because they got uh, one cannon and a Vickers machine gun or a Maxim machine gun. They got a machine gun. And <laughs> again, that's kind of tough. 
You know, you're, you're, you're rolling the dice and boom, 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 and the game's over. So I've had a problem with that. So then I, I, I kind of got out of uh, the Colonial for just a little bit and then got back into it when I started really, really paying attention to Afghanistan and the Northwest Frontier because I found that really interesting. You could have skirmish games. You could really have a lot of fun doing that. You know, some of the other games, uh, Tonkin, those look like they could be really fun. Dutch East Indies look like they could be fun. Persia and the Caucasus, uh, the Turks and the Russians, I, I think could be really interesting. I have to tell you the Plains War, the Plains Conflicts, Plain and Indian Conflicts, that could be pretty interesting because you can have even battles there. So, but that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that those of you who like the Mahdi uh, forces or the Zulus or that type of, of war gaming are wrong. You, you're finding a way to, for it to be really, really interesting. And I applaud you for that. And that's great. I do, sincerely. But for me, I just never really found them that particularly. I, I, I couldn't just get myself into it. I get into the movies, but I couldn't translate that love of the movies into the love of the game. You know, like I could for Gunga Din, I could translate my love of Gunga Din into the, the love for the, the Northwest Frontier. I could totally translate that. I was in. So the other part of the question here from Neil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I covered Crimea. Yes, I did. I did. I don't know if I did a good job covering the Crimean War and why to war game the Crimean War, but uh, I, I tried. And apparently a lot of people liked it and some people didn't. That's all right. But the U.S. Civil War, I played this in plastics and it was very interesting when you take, when you just look at it from a strategy point of view, to do a segment of a podcast about the U.S. Civil War doesn't kind of, it doesn't really do it justice. Same with like Napoleonics. If you're going to, if you're going to do a show about Napoleonics and that's, you're just going to do one show about Napoleonics, then why do the show? Same with U.S. Civil War. If I'm going to do a, a segment on the U.S. Civil War, why not just do the whole podcast on U.S. Civil War? Why not do the whole series of podcasts on the Civil War, U.S. Civil War, because it could take up that much time because there's that much information just compacted into th that theater. I kind of avoid the U.S. Civil War. Also, once I, you know, I played that when I was younger in plastics and I kind of over it now because in my mind, kind of like everybody loves U.S. Civil War. Everybody loves World War II. You've heard me on other po on this, the same podcast and other episodes uh, talk about this. I'm not one of those guys feels it necessary to talk about what everybody else is talking about, you know? So that's why you don't hear World War II talk. You don't hear a lot of Civil War talk on here, maybe a little bit, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, but not, this is not something that's in the back of my head as interesting as the Indian mutiny. That That's what I got. So, <laughs> so, but I appreciate, I do appreciate the love on the podcast. I do appreciate the love uh, and wanting us to keep going. Uh, I'm going to, as I said earlier in the program, uh, this is going to turn into a monthly thing. So this is the first episode of the monthly deal. And uh, once again, I appreciate you sending us uh, the email. Now, the email is shotandshield at gmail.com. That's the email. You want to send us an email? Go for it. I say us. It's still, it's just a habit of me saying us, but uh, shotandshield at gmail.com. You send me an email. You got a question. You got a comment. I'll read them. Even if it's demeaning to me, if even it's like, you know, Scott, you suck. I hate you. It's like, okay, I'll put it on there. You know, it's not going to hurt my feelings. It's just we're communicating as a group. But I have to tell you, this whole group has been so supportive. And that's what I like about uh, the colonial wargaming community. I have not seen, like I've seen in other communities, like in the World War II one or U.S. Civil War community, in this community, everybody is so supportive of each other. And I just, it's, a, it's awesome, amazing. 
and encouraging that we can all get along like that. Even though you might have different views on other things, we can all come together uh, on the war game. Anyway, like I said, you can email me at uh, shotandshield at gmail.com. Coming up, more on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. I'm waiting for an explanation. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. Looks bad in the newspapers and upset civilians at their breakfast. This is Shot and Shield. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. This is Shot and Shield. I hear that conditions in your army are appalling. Well, I'm sorry, but those are my conditions, and you'll just have to accept them. Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield, the Supercast. Today, brought to you by XPForge.com. This has been my source for 3D printed terrain and buildings. And as you know from other episodes, I love to scratch build. And when I need items that will help my builds pop, I go to XPForge.com. Have for like the last two years. Seriously, I needed some detailed scatter pieces for my Central Asian project. I went to XP Forge. I picked up some really, really nice, well-detailed rocky outcrops. I'm not allowed to carve styrofoam in my place. It's not going to happen. I need a little 3D print and help. XPForge.com provided that. I also picked up some 28-millimeter camels for my Colonial Russian Scratch Build Cavalry because you know there's no Russian cavalry on camels anywhere on any site. So I got a scratch builder where I get my camels, xpforge.com. I also picked up these really, really nice 28 millimeter city walls for my imagination Turkmeni Caliphate. Very sweet, very nice, very detailed. But let me tell you this. You think I'm kidding? I got the receipts. So look, this is where I go for my tabletop gaming pop. If I want my table to pop, this is where I'm going, xpforge.com. Now, as you know, I've been focused on my Russian colonial and Central Asian project, and now xpforge.com has 28-millimeter Napoleonic figures. Tim, you're killing me, bro. XP Forge is killing me right now because I see these figures, and they look so nice, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, have I, have I, am I about done with my Russian colonial? And the answer is no. But then I see these 28-millimeter Napoleonics, and I'm like, oh, that's, hmm. Uh, Do yourself a favor, go check out xpforge.com for great 3D printing, great prices, and for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use this coupon code, SHOT15, for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code, SHOT15, to save 15%. Go check it out right now, xpforge.com. Shot and Shield. What are you looking at? It's time for Shot and Shield movie review. Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield, your colonial war game podcast. And you're doing that on any of your uh, favorite podcast apps, whether it's uh, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get and listen to your favorite podcast. You can also listen on the website, shotandshield.captivate.fm. But it's time for the Shot and Shield movie review. Discipline makes the strength of armies. 
It is necessary that superiors obtain from their subordinates immediate obedience without murmuring. So as I've tried in the past, I've tried to review movies uh, that tabletop wargamers and modelers might watch in order to get scenario ideas, feel some historical flavor, or get inspiration from before you war game or paint or build or whatever. But obviously these movies are going to be colonial, Victorian, or 19th century in nature. Uh, and in this episode of Shot and Shield, I'd like to uh, take a look at the French Foreign Legion classic from 1939, Beau Guest. Now, uh, this is uh, Gary Cooper as Beau Guest, Ray Milland as uh, John Guest, Robert Preston as Digby Guest. Now, he was also the music man. There you go. Brian Donlevy as Sergeant Markov. It also stars uh, Susan Hayward and Broderick Crawford. The synopsis of the movie is uh, three boys, Bo, John, and Digby, guess they grew up together in, in this wealthy family. As a child, one of them overhears their mother talking about the sale of a jewel that belongs to the family. At that time, it's replaced with a fake, and the household continues on. Years later, the family is in financial trouble again, discusses selling the jewel. Knowing that it's fake and wanting to save their mother from shame, it is stolen during a blackout, right? The boys are given till uh, morning to own up. But when morning comes, the eldest, Bo, in this case, Gary Cooper, he takes off, leaving a note that he confessed that he took the, uh, took the jewel, right? John and Digby, knowing that he sacrificed because they, they know that he didn't do it, also leave a note confessing. Now all three end up in the Foreign Legion, obviously, and they're in North Africa. Everybody does his duty and send enough. Dead or alive. Can I just say, if I were leaving home, would I really join the French Foreign Legion? I mean, isn't there like a circus around? I'm just saying. I don't know much about mutinies, but I do know it isn't good form to plan them at the top of your voice. But anyway, I digress. Bo and John under the uh, command of a cruel, sadistic Sergeant Markov in Fort Zindernoof in the Sahara Desert. That's where they land. And after an unsuccessful mutiny against uh, Markov's uh, brutal treatment... I'm going to give you a lesson in putting down an attempted mutiny that'll be the last thing you'll ever see. The fort is attacked by Taregs, and the men join forces and uh, fight for their lives. Okay, lots of fun. There'll be a flag flying out there in the morning that I swore to uphold. Armies of good men have died for it, gladly. It's a battle flag, and it's a flag of victory. I'm rather proud to be under it. And I wouldn't want to go out in the morning like you and know that I was going to be a traitor to it. Unfortunately, the youngest is the only one who makes it safely home. Now, as for the Arabs... There's no significant leader uh, that uh, our heroes are up against. They're mostly up against Sergeant Markov, right? And now, you scum, it's my turn. Now, as a modeler, if you're working on terrain, this is cool. This is a cool movie to watch because you really kind of get a, a feeling for the fort, okay? Because, I mean, the French Foreign Legion, uniforms are sharp, but they're, they're the typical French Foreign Legion uh, uniforms. You're not going to get some like in-depth different French Foreign Legion outfit or idea uh, through this movie. Also, the Turegs of the Arabs, their gear is passable. You know, it, it is what it is. But the best thing about if you're modeling or you're, you're creating your, your war game board for one, of these, uh, for one of these games, the best thing is the fort. Because I, I got to tell you, doing the forts really are quite simple. And they're very, very cheap to do. You can scratch build yourself a fort. All you need is... Uh, Cardboard glue and some beach sand and some paint. That's it. You're good. If I could only afford to waste them all. I've done a fort like this uh, when I was when I was way younger, back in the in the 1980s, right? Seeing this movie, and this is the movie I used to build one of my 
on my desert forts. And really, it literally was cardboard, glue, beach sand, because I live near the beach, white glue, and some tan spray paint. And all I did was build the fort. I hit it with the uh, white glue, doused it in sand, and then spray painted it. And I was done, just like that. And I think it did it all in one day. It didn't look superb, but it was passable. Armed attack on a superior in the face of the enemy. I court-martial you myself. I find you guilty and I sentence you to death. You get six in the belly. So I would say this movie this movie's really good if you're scratch building a fort because there's so much footage of the fort that you can able you're able to really kind of get the scale of it uh, in order to in order to scratch build it. Now as an adventure film to get your juices flowing and rolling uh, to play a, a French Foreign Legion game, eh, yeah. You know, if 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 I were really into French Foreign Legion gaming, this would be in my list. You know, it kind of gives you the flavor and everything, but it is, it is pretty talky. Not a lot, not as much action as you'd like to see uh, in a French Foreign Legion film in order to really kind of and get your juices going. I mean, it's more a story about brotherhood and hating your boss than anything that I'd like to watch to get me excited about a North African game. But I, like I said, I maintain that this is one of the reasons why I'm not... I'm really not a big fan of uh, French Foreign Legion or North African play. The scenarios always seem pretty limited. You know, the hero does something bad, joins the French Foreign Legion, then he takes on Arabs or a sadistic leader, or both, at a fort, archaeological site, or an oasis. Now, if you're the French Foreign Legion in Vietnam or Laos during the colonial era, that you know, there I think the gaming has some legs, in my opinion. If you love the French Foreign Legion... In North Africa, and you play it, and you love it, God bless you. I applaud you, just for me. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I say this is because, now, for me, it's like a lot of painting of figures with this narrow, narrow scenario fold. Now, maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way, but feel free to comment and tell me I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. You could do that at the uh, Twitter, at Shot and Shield, or email me, shotandshield at gmail.com. So anyway, so as far as uh, the movie goes, movie, not bad. Like it. Obviously, you know, Gary Cooper, dude's awesome. And you got Susan Hayward and Robert Crawford. I mean, you have some stars in this, so it's not like it's a bad movie. It isn't. This is one of those movies that you'd watch like Saturday right after cartoons, right? It's like, oh, wow. I just watched Scooby-Doo, Fat Albert, Bugs Bunny. And then it's time for the uh, afternoon matinee, Bo Guest from 1939. I'm in. I'm in. I promise you. So how do we leave it? Bo Guest from 1939, the French Foreign Legion classic. I give it an A for being a great movie. I'm going to give it a C for all the inspiration when it comes to doing the French Foreign Legion game. Still more ahead on Shot and Shield. Shot and Shield. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. This is Shot and Shield. Does your home have tile, stone, or grout? It needs to be sealed right now. Don't wait, because if you do, then you're asking yourself to have stains and buildup all up in there. You can stop stains and buildup. Protect your tile, stone, and grout with Miracle Sealants 511. That's Miracle Sealants 511 by Rustolia. Pick it up today at your local Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, or wherever Rustolium is sold. So stop being lazy. You have a tile project you're planning? Miracle Sealant 511. Pick it up today on your way home. This is Shot and Shield. You don't think I too dream of peace 
You don't think I too yearn to end this damn dirty job we call soldiering? Frankly, no. <laughs> We continue with Shot and Shield Supercast. Uh, you can contact us via the Twitter at Shot and Shield and the email shotandshield at gmail.com. As a tabletop uh, miniature war gamer and painter of miniatures, you will have at one time or another found pulpfigures.com. And when I found it, I felt like a little kid again, just like the first time I got my uh, first G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. I was just... <laughs> And if you're a collector and you have a collection and uh, you're going to you're gonna have and you, you better have figures from pulpfigures.com, you will find uh, them clean, animated, uh, well-sculpted. And I myself have several in my collection, including the Gunkadin line and the Mystery line. And the man of the hour, Mr. Bob Merch, artist extraordinaire, uh, is joining uh, Shot and Shield today. Now, in August, he released his excellent Renegades of Kashgar set and joins me today to talk uh, miniatures and the Movember fundraiser for men's health. Bob, I really do appreciate you joining us on Shot and Shield. Thank you for having me. That's uh, that's an awesome introduction. I'm, uh, I'm, I don't even know where to uh, go back into it and say, no, no, no. <laughs> You flatter too much. Good artistry can't be flattered enough. And just for our listeners to know, this isn't something that uh, you are a commercial business. Uh, pulpfigures.com is commercial. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a, this is you, you a, could you could just push us over the line into I, that. I'm zone. going to I'm going to because out of love, not out of uh, there's no uh, compensation going on here. This is total love going on. Yeah, Bob, I do I uh, do appreciate you joining us today. I'd like to get right into the Movember. Can you tell me a little bit about the fundraiser, about the bonus fig, and also the charity that you're involved with? Well, Movember is uh, an annual uh, a fundraiser that uh, is designed to raise money for men's health issues, often and especially mental health issues. So uh, it's uh, a, uh, a pretty big thing now. I think it's, uh, I don't know how worldwide it is, but it's definitely in, uh, you know, UK and America and, and around. So it used to be kind of, uh, the first year I did it was basically I grew a mustache. <laughs> the month of November. <laughs> right. Uh, that's what it was. You grew a mustache and your friends gave you some money to shave it off at the end of the month. Right. Um, but uh, the, uh, the notion of doing a special edition figure for the month just struck me as being a way to kind of make a, a better contribution to November. Uh, I started that probably about, I think uh, this could be the eighth year. It's been a very a successful little tradition now that people look forward to. So, uh, you know, I'm carrying on. I got a new figure coming this year, but uh, I haven't previewed him yet because he's not quite done. But can you can you can you give us a hint? It's sort of like where where your head's going and uh, what kind well, of. Well, this gonna... this year basically, uh, I'll I'll let you know who he is. He's he's ba- I don't have a name for him yet, but he's mm-hmm. basically inspired by the character Colonel Blimp who was a, a fictional cartoon character in the war years uh, to be kind of represented the old school officer corps of that era when the young guys were basically coming in, you know, into world war two and kind mm-hmm. of thinking, you know, these guys are out to lunch. 
Um, <laughs> so he was a, a character that was in a, com- a comic form for many years. And he's basically got a very distinctive big mustache. So I've done him up, uh, not as is, he's usually portrayed in a towel. Right. Because he's in the sauna of the, you know, the officer's club where he's often pontificating about, you know, this and that always wrong. Um, but I've put him in his full, uh, Colonel's uniform for a world war one uniform. Did you think and, about just put him in the towel? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, no, I didn't actually. It's only now that I'm talking about it that I'm thinking, Hey, wait a minute. I should have done that. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of your, your, your war game and your tabletop and, you know, and you put your figures on there and here's a, there's Colonel blip in the towel, in the towel. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's also very, if you ever see the cartoons, he's very light on his feet. He's a big fellow, right? You know, he's often dancing around, snapping his towel at the other chaps in the, in the sauna. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, but I thought just with his very distinctive walrus type mustache, he uh-huh. made a natural for November this year. So, uh, that's, that's what we'll be doing. Now, do you have a, do you have a, spe- a specific charity that, uh, the, the funds go to regarding men's health or is it? Kind no, of I just, out? it just goes into the November, uh, general fundraiser. There's gotcha. no, I don't know quite where it would be directed afterwards, but they do. I'd have specified that I'm kind of raising money for mental health issues. So I would assume it goes in that direction. But now talking about the, uh, talking about the, the figure Colonel Blimp, now this brings to mind some of the, the other lines that you have, as I, as I stated, when we first opened the, the segment, uh, everything that you have is extremely animated. Uh, and by animated, I mean, you could have figures or sculpts that are very, almost like stiff, you know, everybody's in the marching yeah, form. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of action to your, your figures. They always look there or up to something. They're doing something They're They're getting ready to like pounce or yeah. the figures all seem to be inspired either by, by thirties golden age, uh, movie, uh, serials or, or radio shows. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Is that generally is- speaking pop culture of that era okay. so, and, and books and, you know, that whole period, um, but often uh, drawn very directly from that era's mentality as well. So with a little bit of tongue in cheek, of course, I don't so, think you so- can avoid that now. As we were talking just before we uh, jumped on on the air here, um, you were roughly around the same uh, same age. So we're more of a like children of the late seventies, eighties. Yep. So where so where would you okay? How did you get inspired by that golden age or be exposed <laughs> to that? Um, actually, I'm a I was a, a very uh, late child for my parents. So I my parents were forty two when I was born. Mm-hmm. So my father was a veteran of World War II, and my, both my mother and father had grown up in the Depression. Um, our house still had, actually, when, we, when my father got out of the Air Force in 1972, 73, somewhere in there, uh, we returned to uh, southern Ontario from his posting in Ottawa, his last posting. And uh, we moved into my grandmother's house which was still painted in the colors it had been painted in the 1930s. I really felt as though I left the 1960s and 70s, the early 70s, I guess, as a child and was transported back to the 1930s. We still had a piano in the parlor and uh, the walls were painted a sort of a salmon color that was common back then. 
and uh, it was my grandmother's house that my parents set about renovating, mm-hmm. but it was the house that my father was born in, literally born in. My mother was from the next town over, so her family was kind of all part of that era in that region as well. The There were books in the attic that were from then. There were, you know, just the, it was all very much still in living memory, that period, the depression and the war mm-hmm. years and the post-war years. So, you know, my brother was 13 years older than me, is 13 years older than me. So when I got his hand-me-downs, I got things like, you know, a Hopalong Cassidy bedspread. Right. And stuff like that. <laughs> so, so my pop culture, while informed by, you know, the modern into the 70s and 80s, uh, there was a lot of very strong memories, even if they weren't mine, of, of the previous eras. So while, so, so while young, young Bob is searching through the attic, there's a book comes out. What's, what's that book? What's, that what's book? the one that, what's that book that says, this is amazing. It was, it was Tarzan. Tarzan. It was the hardcover Tarzan that was sitting up there in those bookshelves alongside the Hardy Boys and all those other things. Okay. And, uh, you know, that was Tarzan probably when I was in maybe grade six. And after I hit Tarzan, there was no turning back. I basically started, you know, I, I found all the Tarzans I could in the school library. And there were some good ones in there that, you know, Tarzan at the Earth's core and um, Son of Tarzan and all those you mm-hmm. know, later, later books. But Earth's core really was a revelation too, because that's when we started getting seriously pulpy. Right. Uh, with, you know, airships and, and traveling to, you know, the center of the earth with dinosaurs and all kinds of other strange creatures. Um, so that really was where it got going. And then, uh, after Tarzan, you know, I, I basically stumbled into things like, uh, Robert E. Howard and, and all that era. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like pulling threads once you start. Right you start going down that rabbit hole, you're just going to keep going further and further and meeting all the other characters, all the other writers of that era. And, mm-hmm. and it, it really was also, as you will remember of that period, fantasy and science fiction really took off in the 70s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the publishers, in an effort to kind of keep up with the demand, went back and dug out stuff from the pulps. So you got the Doc Savage reprints mm-hmm. that were extremely popular in that era. And they were all reprints of the original magazine, pulp magazine novels of the 30s and 40s. Um, you, you had, uh, you know, Conan, a kind of a rebirth of Conan. Right. I remember that. period. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft started coming mm-hmm. on again. Like he, he'd almost been forgotten at uh, you know, in an earlier period. And so people started rediscovering all that kind of subject matter. So I, I kind of was steeped in all that. That was the stuff I loved reading. And, uh, of course, at, you know, in the movies that we were, they were still showing plenty of old movies on TV oh, sure. in those days too. So, you know, anytime you saw a Humphrey Bogart movie come on TV <laughs> or, or a Tarzan movie or right, right. Um, even, even, um, Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. you know, we discovered, how good those films were and you know it helped to live in an era when there wasn't a huge amount of choice so if you're home on friday night and all there was on was laurel and hardy that's what you watched right right and you, you know you it, that's, to love it 
that is such a that's 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 actually very intuitive because at the time you had the three you had the abc or at least here in america we had abc uh, nbc and cbs okay so you yep. have that yeah we had that too all right so you have pbs or in our case the public channel in your case was cbc is that would, would that be correct yep yep okay so the uh and then whatever independent channel your city had when i was growing yeah. up i grew up yeah. in miami and we had channel 33 it was the only independent there after cartoons on a saturday and uh, they showed the one hour of uh, Florida championship wrestling, you know, with Dusty Rhodes yeah. <laughs> at, at, at noon 30, uh, Big Wilson would come in and he'd host uh, a- afternoon matinee of movies. And it would be, it would be in this case, it would be Gunga Din. And then there would be a Flash Gordon serial. Yeah. Uh, and then there would be uh, another movie, maybe something like uh, uh, the Sea Wolf or Sea Launch or something like that. And then another serial and then maybe a comedy like Topper or something like that. And then you're, you're on. And that, that's yeah, it. You're into yeah. the afternoon and there you go. Yeah. We had, uh, uh, on our, on late on TV, Ontario, it was called, it was a public, it still is a public station, but it's, it's quite a bit different than it used to be. There was a Saturday night, uh, at the movies show, mm-hmm. um, that they always basically hosted by, a uh, a fellow named Elwi Yost, whose son is now a major producer in Hollywood, a writer, producer. I'm trying to remember his full name, but uh, Graham Yost, I believe, is his full name. So he's still active in the movie world. But Elwi, his father, used his show on Saturday nights to introduce people to classic cinema. And it could be anything from, you know, goofy stuff uh, to serious, you know, artistic stuff. Right. Uh, But it was all in context. And then he would interview some of the makers in between the two features. And so you got interviews with kind of all the great stars and he was a great interviewer as well. Inside, inside one of my movie cabinets in the house here, I've got a newspaper article about old Elwi still pinned up because he was such a influence in that era. And I just, you know, I, I was introduced to the films of Alec Guinness, you know, in star right. post star Wars, I was like, okay, well, what else is Alec Guinness done? <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking at bridge over the river quiet and, yeah and then yeah. you discover all the old ealing comedies mm-hmm. and uh you know and you just realize how much of a world there is back there and how good a lot of it is and right. even the bad stuff can be good in a way to some of us absolutely um, you know the the buck rogers cereals and all that kind of stuff I right mean, you know if you were on a rainy sunday afternoon at the cottage uh, and something like that you managed to get tuned in on the black and white TV and the, <laughs> that you'd scored. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're right about uh, that. I'd like to take a, a quick turn here. I've noticed uh, in some of your, your art, a definite like radio, like old time radio play. Oh yeah. yeah um, for sure. You know, now do you have, do you have favorites uh, in the vintage uh, radio? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. I, I had a, a huge period where I was really immersed in, uh, vintage radio it was actually after kind of when i got pulp figures going and the mm-hmm. internet was giving us access to uh, all that catalog um before that i mean i, I think in tr- the toronto area before that there was um, one sunday night late sunday night show that uh, i think on chum fm that would rebroadcast a radio play of some sort mm-hmm. um, but i kind of got to explore a whole lot of that it, old time radio in the two thousands once, once, uh, we could get it again. And, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of great discoveries there. I think yeah. one of my favorites is a show called Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, the, uh, they're going around the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Post-war. Mm-hmm. It's just after the war. And uh, Captain Carney and his first mate Gallagher are on a, a small catch, it's called, the Scarlet mm-hmm. Queen. And they're basically traveling the South Pacific with an overarching story of, uh, I believe they're basically trying to recover a lost treasure of some description. It, uh, and they're, they're, they've been financed by a rich uh, Asian, uh, uh, I don't think he's a collector. I think he's more of a, uh, he's trying to return sort of a sacred relic to where it belongs. Right. But, uh, and they meet an assortment of incredible villains as they're doing this, just all kinds of really neat characters. Um, I can imagine all of a sudden now you're getting flooded with this and it's like, oh, I I got an idea for here and I got an idea for this and I got an idea for, I'll get some mask guys, I get some cultists. Well, they would, you know, they would meet, you know, one of the villains was uh, kind of an Asian version of uh, Jasper Gutman. Mm-hmm. who had this bunch of henchmen and one of them was a cowboy, uh, an American cowboy. Uh, and they were all, you know, the villains were just, they were ah. just wonderful. The stories are just pure pulp too. Right. Uh, exotic locations and princesses and Balinese uh, sultans and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, yeah, one of my, one of my favorites is speed Gibson international secret police. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. No, and, I'm not and, familiar with that one. Uh, uh, that was a great one. It's a, a young, a young man. And, uh, his uncle is in the international or the, yeah, the international secret police and the young boy, maybe 15 stops some bad guy. And all of a sudden now he's in the police too. They travel to, uh, Hong Kong to yeah. try to, to disrupt the evil octopus. <laughs> the evil, evil, horrible, evil man, you know, and, and they, you know, yeah. it's kidnapping and then they're searching and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so remarkable. And, uh, oh, it was pure. I mean, the storytelling they could do yep. on that medium mm-hmm. was so epic. Uh, they could, you know, they weren't restricted by special effects budgets, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, they, they could just go nuts and do all these crazy exotic stories and paint them in people's minds. You know, I love a mystery is another good one. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah. That's just, that's crazy stuff. Lost civilizations and hidden beneath the earth and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Uh, but uh, all of these radio shows pretty much evolved into television. So many of the same writers basically moved right. from, from radio in the, the early days of TV and were there well into, you know, the modern era. And then, you know, you look at a person like Josh Wheaton, the Buffy, the vampire slayer guy, right. Right. Still making stuff. Well, uh, he's, he's making Marvel now, right? Or is he, is he doing Marvel? I, th- I think he, I think he's involved in Marvel in some, but his yeah, father and grandfather were both also screenwriters. Oh, okay. And uh, his hmm. grandfather, I believe, was one of the prime movers and creators of the Great Gildersleeve, which is a, a that's this it's a hysterical. It's it's the, the, it's wonderful. This poor guy, so, you feel bad yeah. for him throughout the yeah. whole the whole series. <laughs> it's he, like this he, poor yeah, guy. He, he's, he's not wretched, doing anything but, wrong. He's yeah, just trying to yeah. be do good. He <laughs> just keeps getting getting punched around. <laughs> and he's but he's such a you know he's. He, He's such a blowhard too at the right, same right. time that it's, it's funny because he gets himself 
well into serious trouble. But, so, you know, to think that that, uh, whatever you think of Josh Whedon these days, he's got some issues. Right. Uh, but the, the, the dynasty of uh, that goes right back into the radio days. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are others you, you stumble across too, where, you know, they just kind of came out of that and kept going. And, you know, you look at our, when we were young uh, and the Star Wars and Indiana Jones thing came along, I mean, what were the influences of that? <laughs> right. That was that was pure pulp like mm-hmm. a, and unabashedly so and it just it caught on like wildfire i remember that uh, that that time frame early 80s so you had uh now obviously you had the star wars coming in there but uh flash gordon yep right which not just pulp but just over the top camp yeah yeah right and then you had indiana jones trying to think of some of the other ones that were of that time period they, they often tried to revive some stuff off right you know, with moderate success they tried to they tried some modern takes on tarzan the bo Derek one mm-hmm. kind of strange um, <laughs> <laughs> they they also revived sort of the hard-boiled detective thing with mm-hmm. uh you know chinatown polanski's chinatown right and there were lots of examples of kind of that finding its way into the modern era film noir and all that and it still carries on to this day as well there's lots of people who still kind of use that as a primary source of inspiration so right. you know the usual suspects so what's uh so what's inspiring bob merch right now outside of uh, colonel blimp you know what's on your workbench what is uh what's inspiring you now in your next uh in your well, next I'm actually, series i'm trying to wrap up a historical project the 1066 uh norman saxon mm-hmm. thing but getting back into pulp I've got a few uh, directions I really want to explore. I I need to do more, uh, especially at this Halloween time, uh, I want to add more to the mystery and uh, and horror. I'm sorry, I got a dog barking, and I'm <laughs> that's all right. Well, the, the mystery <laughs> and horror one, I, uh, I have the mystery I have, and horror range is yeah. is going to be kind of a lot of fun for me because that's also one of my loves is that genre. Can I tell you when I when I had checked out your site one day and all of a sudden I saw that mystery and horror little little piece show up in your catalog and I went, hmm, I wonder what that is. I opened it up and, <laughs> and there and there's my boys is like Sherlock Holmes. Charlie Chan, Miss yeah. Marple Poirot. And I'm like, yeah, I think I instantaneously <laughs> said, I got to get it. And my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to get these. Well, you can't use it. Yeah, I can. I'm doing it. Like, okay. Well, I love you. I love you, Scott. Okay. You do what you need. Yeah. I've got, uh, I got to do the, uh, you know, there's, there's basically two directions going on in that range. And uh, one of them, of course, being the mystery section. And I, I need to do quite a few of the other characters, you know, Charlie Chan's number one son and (laughs) all the, there's, there's a lot of room there to go. Absolutely. I I definitely want to hit some of the characters like Columbo. Oh my God. uh, I can imagine a Columbo figure. Yeah. I mean, it's, Uh, it's a bit anachronistic, but it, the way he dresses, it's going to fit perfectly well. (laughs) Uh, Now, do you take, um, so, so you pretty much have that kind of on your back burner, kind of like kind of seething, kind of like, I I have to get this done. I have to, I want to get to this. You ever feel rushed because you have so many ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Too many ideas. And it, and also what I think one of the big uh, problems I have is I, I feel I need to lay proper groundwork to do an idea. Can't just have the pack of officers, you know? Right. Right. You gotta have some of the infantry guys or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the equivalent thereof. I'm always trying to do things in some sort of, to me at least logical order. So, but you get, you get a, a little tangled up eventually. 
where you've just got so many things kind of needing doing and uh, not enough time to get to it all. And that's my big crunch. The list of things to do is quite <laughs> huge. And I really want to get back at some of my, my other ranges too. The, uh, the gangland justice range needs a lot mm-hmm. of, I've got a, I've got page and a half of ideas for that range. Uh, it'd be nice to just have an extra 10 years, but <laughs> <laughs> ain't that the truth, brother? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. The too many ideas and I, I never understand, you know, the need to kind of, if you want to do something that is uh, unique, you often have to lay down some groundwork of doing other things that perhaps have already been done a bit. So I don't quite know how to reconcile that because again, it's a logic thing. If you're going to do, say you want to do uh, a steampunk kind of science fiction colonials, you also kind of need to do kind of basic colonials to lay right. down the, the, the groundwork for that, which is, I guess what I'm trying to say. It's uh, a bit of a, a time issue as always. So real quick, uh, just to remind everybody, we're, we're speaking with Bob Merch of Pulp, pulpfigures.com, pulpfigures.com. Excellent artist, excellent sculptor. We've talked a little bit about Movember, um, about inspiration and stuff like that. The one thing, uh, Bob, I do want to ask about, because this this particular Shot and Shield episode is actually, we have a, a little bit of a theme going. It's not, it doesn't take over the whole program. Uh, we do uh, have a theme. I got an email from a gentleman who kind of took me to task because I don't do, I never took enough time to really talk Africa, especially Foreign Legion. So uh, French Foreign Legion has been sort of a, a theme throughout uh, this particular uh, podcast. And uh, your line, the far-flung French yeah. line, I want to make sure to touch on that as part of our theme today. When you were putting together that, where was your inspiration with the, with your far-flung French? Um, it's a pulp foreign legion. Mm -hmm. So it's more based on fictional sources than specifically historical sources. Right. So I'm, uh, currently thinking about getting some, uh, actual historical soldiers into it. I've got, <laughs> I've, I've had my French machine gun, foreign legion machine guns that are sort of sitting on my desk for a while now. And I've been meaning to get to it. I also have a French 37 millimeter cannon that got to be finished off. It's, it's almost done. It needs a crew. My big drawback. I mean, some of this stuff can sit around for years. Sure. I can imagine. It's the way it is, but I'd also like to get to some of the interesting African possibilities for the French foreign legion to kind of bump up against. Um, I don't really want to get heavy into a historical riff war type situation. Sure. sure. I kind of want it to be a little more exotic than that. So I'm thinking about some of those possibilities. The French are, you know, often overlooked in that era, in the colonial era. I mean, other than the foreign legion, and but there's a lot of, you know, African troops that were organized by the French and right. uh, um, some interesting scenario possibilities. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm kind of exploring that period a bit. There was a recent article in War Games Illustrated by a friend of mine, uh, who's uh, Bob Bob Gilio, who's uh, trying to convince some of us sculptor types to kind of dive in and do some interesting characters. So <laughs> I've been in touch with Bob about uh, the subject of his article and, and thinking about what could be done there. You know, it's funny you you bring up about the, the historical end of it. You know, I um when I when I game, I try to do historical, but I I, I don't want to be anchored down. You yeah. know, because this is this is a game. It's is meant to be fun, and I've been to enough conventions uh, early on uh, when I was uh, gaming back in the eighties that 
you know, if it wasn't strictly exactly historical, you get oh, people yeah, like yeah. very, very, they get, they get, uh, they get aggressive, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, it's okay. People you can know, feel look, very strongly about right. It's, it's okay. It's just a game there, brother. You yeah. know, but, uh, the, uh, the imagination games, the imagination, uh, type, uh, uh gaming that, uh, seems to have been more embraced something like the figures that you have for your, uh, far flung French seems to be perfect for, you know, they're, they're over the top. They're big. Yeah, they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're like I said that, you know, in the earlier things you're animated. If, if I were putting together, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's funny because this particular, <laughs> this particular episode is dealing a, a lot with the, the foreign legion. It's not actually one of my, uh, it's not one of my favorite periods. I always seemed, it seemed it, it to be very restrictive, in its scenario uh styles or any type of scenario yeah, pieces yeah. they're they're only their enemies are are the turks limited you're right um, <laughs> uh, so you know you, you know you go to in our period in the 30s and you know you got the riff war kind of thing right which well, there's people have done it oh yeah so there's stuff out there i think um, um but i think when you start having fun and getting into well what if this group of french right soldiers like our our renegades guys mm -hmm. or captain uh major leduc is his name right i mean he's basically a deserter <laughs> he's gone off he's left he's taken a bunch of his hardcore loyalists and they're headed into africa to make their fortune right they don't you know they can meet anybody <laughs> which you know can i tell you um, you know when you when you put it like that and when you see um when you see that you have opportunities like that it kind of opens up the door a little bit more and so now I'm like thinking to myself, ah, you know, did yeah, you miss something, Scott? Becoming fun, yeah, <laughs> right. Instead of a, uh, you know, when when you really look at a lot of real colonial wars, they're you know grubby little, you know, big bully nations kind right. of trying to <laughs> subjugate these other smaller nations and rob them blind. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think I think you know if you want to have fun with it. Uh, it making it a bit fictional and getting creative is going to make it a lot more lively. Right. And a lot less kind of cringy. <laughs> so, I so, guess. you know, with that said, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Is there something that's off limits in your head? Uh, yeah, there are lots of things that are off limits for me. I mean, I get asked, are you going to do Hitler and Mussolini? And I'm like, no, right. <laughs> you know, I've done, I've done some Nazis, but they're villains because right. the pulps need Nazi villains. If you look, closely at the faces of these guys they're the movie guys they're arrogant and cruel looking and, right you know i'm not going to get into doing heroic looking ss type characters <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not what i'm going to do sure I, sure i don't i don't want to go down down that direction um so you know some of the things out there now that are questionable i think part of it's uh, as in the colonial era you got to kind of either be a little bit um tongue-in-cheek or at least try to be very balanced on okay. how you approach it i kind of am a fan of imaginations like you were talking about earlier uh you know the the thuggies from gunga din right there, there really wasn't any such thing in the 30s <laughs> <laughs> but they make a great movie right and so you know an interesting scenario uh same with kind of tong gangsters yes there were tong gangsters but if you make them, you know, a, an actual force that you can kind of do a, some sort of conflict in the streets of Shanghai later on makes it a little more interesting. It's yeah. I, 
it's it's tricky i mean you don't want to get too into politics and stuff sure sure on, right because you can certainly get yourself painted into some bad corners i think keeping it light and keeping it fun and, and recognizing it's you know supposed to be a game do you find time to to game a bit yeah i work on it though i have to kind yeah. of you know especially during this past year and a half i was able to game with my son mostly so, but we're now kind of starting to open up a little bit. Everyone's right. got their, their shots around here. Right. So right. Well, I was thinking uh, outside of COVID, you know, outside of COVID, I mean, you're, cause you're sculpting, you're working family and stuff like that. How do you find time for, for like a gaming you gotta, or you got to make it. Yeah. Um, I, I basically, even if I'm busy and a friend calls and says, we're having a game Friday night, I'll make a point of trying to do it. I just gotta, cause that's partly what fires the 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 engine right like you right. gotta i gotta be a bit careful because i'm very easily distracted so if someone <laughs> invites me over for a napoleonic game i'm like <laughs> i could very easily find myself doing bavarians i shouldn't be <laughs> you know i was just gonna i was just gonna ask you that about if you're you're sitting there playing a game you go oh you know what this i have an idea for a figure that'd be perfect for this right here yeah yeah well, i was wondering if there was any particular type of game that you preferred you know the, um, the i know that um like on the site you can pick up the uh the rules for uh, i think a rugged adventures rugged adventures yeah that um, that's the game i like to run that's the game you like to run uh if i can you know if i'm at a show or uh whatever i i because i know it right it's easy for me to run it <laughs> so what i like actually strangely i like playing hard historical games uh, a lot of times like really like, we were playing, um, you know, when I was back in Ontario, we would do a lot of the kind of DBR and uh, DBM type games. Mm -hmm. uh, my friends back there got into uh, kind of the evolution of that direction into uh, a field of glory. And so I've, I've gone back once in a while and I've played with them in those games. I do kind of enjoy that. It's, it's be partly because it's different than what I work on every day you know, it gets me back into kind of where it all started. I like, uh, right now I'm enjoying saga. It's fun. It's not hugely hard historical, but it's, you know, it, it is neat. It lets you build quick little armies. That's been fun. I, I buy a lot of rule sets that I never game too. So <laughs> I just kind of look at them and <laughs> admire them and think if maybe they, someday. Yeah. One day I'll go ahead and yeah, pick that up. Yeah. I've been focused on colonial just because between resources, <laughs> yeah. funds and, uh, and room space, I stick to the, my particular colonial because if I venture out, all of a sudden it's going to take up more room and more space and more funds. And then yeah. I, I got these pirates, but I really, really needed some extra Kiev uh, archers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I just spent all my money. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have too many real fixed things I stay away from. I mean, uh, but why did you get into sculpting? What made you say, you know what, this is going to be my, this is going to be really my, just, my direction. It was purely organic. I was already uh, a model maker as a kid from a very early age, you know, making plasticine dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I've, I really just uh, fell into it naturally. It, uh, I was, you know, the first thing I did when we started, my friends kind of, we started playing Dungeons and Dragons before like all there was available were maybe the Grenadier figures, but that's, 
what I got a hold of right away and uh, immediately started kind of building sets and things for them. Was it that lack of uh, miniatures at the time or the accessible miniatures at the time, plus that you were already experimenting and sculpting? Yeah, and yeah. then it is. Then it just, as you said, organically just sort of evolved into what you're doing. Well, and and then also, Rafam was just in my hometown. So the minute wow. we were introduced by a friend, took us over there. Uh, it was like, well, here's the direction, right? Uh, here's the scale. Here's <laughs> here's what you'll be doing, um, and it just carried on from there. So uh, I did train to be, you know, an illustrator college so there that does actually figure into my sculpting these days still figures in my view have to tell a story of some sort the character has to you know everything in the in the sculpt has to kind of convey a little bit of a story about who that person is uh, so that's derived from my illustration background yeah it all just ha- it just kind of happened uh like it was supposed to happen which is kind of weird when you think about it um <laughs> It's just the matrix and that's the way right. the matrix works. So I don't know. Well, Bob, I, you know what? I, uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on today. This has been a wonderful talk, re- wonderful chat. I am going to be tapping you in the future for uh, more yeah. conversations. I guarantee oh, you yeah, on that. I'm, gonna, to. I'm, put, I'm putting you on the spot right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind. I mean, you know what? When you live in a, town in the mountains it's good to talk to other gamers <laughs> you know what i got one more for you just because okay I, I i was thinking about this every industry has sort of a tight-knit guild of uh of folks when when i was in radio there was maybe maybe eight or nine of us that uh, we all shared ideas on promotions or or music that we really loved or music that we thought was going to do really good on the radio station or you know this dj's doing this or that's yeah. dj's doing that and and in other businesses, it's the same way. So in so in your industry, your current industry, yep. you know, is this is this a tight a tight knit group of sculptors, or you know, or I think I'll, so. I'll, I'll, I, I'll caveat I'll, I'll caveat that to say, you know, is is there any other sculptors that you look at and you go, wow? Oh yeah, for sure. Mind blown. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if you are still learning from you know your your comrades. <laughs> I don't know what you really would be doing. Uh, some artists, uh, some of the sculptors are just astounding in what they can do. You know, I'm learning from a lot of them what they're, you know, what they're up to. And I'm also kind of wondering about whether I go digital in the next little while to some degree. So you mean with the 3D printing and 3D stuff like printing that? and, mm-hmm. and uh, digital sculpting. A lot of my friends, fellow sculptors have gone into uh, doing it all digital digital these days. I don't know if I'll really commit to that totally because I like sitting at my messy table and making things with my hands. You never know, you know, if the eyesight goes or I start to get a shake or something, then right. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do what I have to do. But it is a tight knit community, I think. I think we do kind of learn from each other. And I think I like to think we, we sort of help support each other too. Cause I, I think the, the more kind of small mid-level companies that produce stuff, it helps build the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, and expands it for everybody uh, makes it more interesting than if there was just one big corporate entity calling all the shots. 
So I think we've so. It's seen, it's not necessarily a competitive thing. It's uh, well, there's you know, there's probably a little bit of competition, and you know, yeah, I gotta step up my game because look at what this guy just did. I see. Okay. You know, <laughs> there's there's a bit of that. I don't think there's you know the I must I must grind my competition into the earth attitude. Uh, <laughs> I think that's more where I was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I, what I've grown into, I should say, and then organically as, as, as you're saying in the industries I've been a part of, it's been, the other guy has to go down for you oh, to yeah. succeed. You know, it's like, yeah, no, really, is it really going to be like that? But it I don't doesn't think seem that's that even true in this, in our yeah. industry. I was going to say, it doesn't even seem that way. It seems like a very supportive group. Yeah. I, I, I can't, you just look at, an average person's collection who maybe collects, say, if I look at those, some of the guys who collect my work and then I look at their shelf, you're going to see all kinds of different makers up there, not just mine, because I don't just do my stuff. I mean, right. that's, that's too limiting. There's other things out there. So I think we, we build a richer environment if we kind of work that way, where we're all kind of putting in our creative two cents. And, uh, you know, creativity is not something also that happens in a vacuum. I mean, you're always influenced by what you see and what other people are doing. So, you know, that someone does something and it suggests something to you and you take it slightly in a different direction and carries on and it just sort of builds. It's always semi-collaborative, even if you aren't working for the same company. We're, we're building kind of one big marketplace, I think. And, uh, and, and I think it's fairly strong too. I think the, the wargaming community is, is diversifying and there's, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm amazed at uh, the number of young women I see coming into modeling and figures and stuff nowadays, which, you know, back when we were the young guys, the, right. that wasn't so true, but um, now it's very normal to see, you know, young women coming in and painting figures and, and joining in. And I think that's awesome because why not? It's makes it more fun for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, you know, it, it makes the whole industry stronger ultimately. And hopefully, you know, I can make a living to the end of my days. <laughs> Which, I'm sure you will, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Good goodness always rises. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah. um, and you are uh, one of the best. I really Thank mean you. that uh, sincerely. Uh, like I said, we've been, uh, speaking with uh, Mr. Bob Merch of pulpfigures.com. You can find all his amazing figures, uh, 28 millimeters sculpted, very talented gentleman. Uh, like I said, at pulpfigures.com, it's Movember highlighting men's health uh and the charity for men's health as far as november goes and i like to say uh bob really uh, very gracious giving me your time um and uh, i do appreciate uh, the time that you've given me today awesome well thank you scott that's uh, much appreciated hey what the blazes is this a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming all right marines This is Shot and Shield. So I have a giveaway for you. 12 28mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, which are perfect for the Crimean War. They're already primed, they're already mounted, and ready to paint. Anyone who follows Shot and Shield on Twitter or on the Shot and Shield Facebook group is entered to win. The Shot and Shield Twitter, at Shot and Shield. 
the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group. These are from my personal collection, and Perry's is not affiliated with this giveaway. Absolutely no purchase necessary. You have until November 25th to follow us on Twitter at Shot and Shield or on the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield podcast wargaming group. It's going to be a random drawing, and the winner will be notified via DM and will be announced on the December 1st Shot and Shield episode. Get on the giveaway now. Remember, 12 28mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, again, which is perfect for the Crimean War. Get in on the giveaway now. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, damn. Continuing with uh, Shot and Shield, my name is Scott, your host. So I wanted to do a watch-along of the 1977 uh, movie March or Die. Now, March or Die, now March or Die, 1977, stars Gene Hackman, Terrence Hill, uh, Ming the Merciless, <laughs> uh, Max von Sydow. Uh, also, Ian Holm uh, plays the uh, guy in charge of all the Arabs, the Arab Sultan, right? So anyway, I just want to watch with you the last battle scene in March or Die. It's about 10 minutes. So you go to the YouTube, Shot and Shield, you go to one of the playlists. One of the playlists has a French Foreign Legion playlist. In, the, in that playlist is this scene, and it's called March or Die, French Foreign Legion versus United Bedouin Tribes. It's 11 minutes, 20 seconds long, and on the count of three, we all hit start together, we go with the commentary. All right, so on the count of three, you hit play, I hit play. All right, so one, two, three. All right, so right now, the Bedouins are just surrounding the the French Foreign Legion, who are they're they're sitting there trying. They're all loaded up, ready for bear at an archaeological dig. All right, Max, Max von Sido is he's Max von Sido. He is like the head archaeologist, and now it's all quiet. Everybody's kind of hanging out. There's the guy who used to be Jaws in the 007 movies. And now <laughs> and now Bilbo Baggins, or uh, Ian Holm, Sir Ian Holm, he's telling his, because uh, this is so funny. Ian Holm plays the leader of the Bedouins. Really? Hey, if you're continuing to watch, it's it's just interesting to see everybody's every uh, foreign legion guy is kind of like, uh, look, uh, Gene Hackman, are you gonna are you gonna throw down here? Are you gonna are you gonna tell us that it's okay to start, you know, unpacking our stuff because we we want to like live. A foreign legion guys is kind of like it's like a good movie, and it's kind of. It's kind of silly, too. Because if you were in charge, wouldn't you be like, okay, let's get geared up? Okay. So now they're taking the positions. Okay, cool. You got to get the... See, now, I mean, look at this right here. Okay? 
there's a there's a lot of Bedouins. There's a lot of Bedouins in this, and they're loading up. They got a cannon. They got the machine guns. They got the rifles. They're trained. I mean, French Foreign Legion is like the heavy duty hitters too. I mean, they're like the elite of the elite, right? Terrence Hill and Jaws hanging out. Sir Ian Holm, Bilbo Baggins. Now they're going to put on the, uh, they're putting on, <laughs> they haven't fired a shot and they're getting, they're already getting ready for the skirmish with the, uh, with the bayonets. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And Gene Hackman is like, look, are you going to, he's just hanging out, waiting for the right moment, building the suspense. Before they start the attack, let me tell you something. If you look at the Bedouin tribes, they, uh, the the costume person, uh, the costume person who did all all this, they really did a really good job. It's kind of hard to mess up uh, the foreign, the French Foreign Legion, um, but uh, they did a good job with the French Foreign Legion. Here we go, fire! And now <laughs> the French Foreign Legion, all hell breaks loose. They're firing everything, everything they got, machine guns, cannons. Everything's going on. Here we go. Yeah, laying waste, right? The Bedouins keep coming. Bilbo Baggins has them trained well. <laughs> But the, whoever did the costumes did a really good job, uh, especially for the Bedouins. Um, I like that the Bedouins aren't just on horses, but they're on camels too. That's, uh, that's a good mix. It's usually you'll have some, uh, some productions will go ahead and just have either one or the other. They won't have a, they won't have a mix like that, so that's kind of that's a, nice, uh, a nice touch. Now here comes, here comes the foot soldiers, the foot tribesmen over the hill. And Jaden Hackman sees it, and he's thinking, maybe I should pull a Hoosiers right now. Can I tell you, watching this, whoever's running the machine guns, he's horrible. He got a machine gun. It's like, what, 55 bullets a minute or something like that? And he's missing people. How can you miss people? And this is where... This is where it's kind of unbelievable because with all those machine guns and everything, what they got uh, three three uh, militruse machine guns, and then they got some handhelds, right? And they're just really laying it in. I I don't understand why this is even a battle now, because I mean that machine guns that's, they're taking a toll. Have you noticed too that they uh, mix up the weaponry too? Because you got the Militruce and you got it looks like a Vickers sort of uh, a water cooled uh, machine gun. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see that the whoever did the production on this really did mix up what they you know what they were using. So that that's kind of a nice touch also.
But now they're going to get in a skirmish line. Excuse me, not skirmish line, but a volley line. But they're not in true volley line. They were in a better position. This is what I don't understand. They were in a better position by hanging out under uh, undercover. Terrence Hill grabbing the machine gun, you know, until he's out of ammo. Again, 55 uh, bullets a minute, or 55 bullets a second, is it? Something like that. And he's, he takes down three guys. Really? You are horrible on that weapon there, dude. So now the Bedouins have uh, they've infiltrated the camp. And in a second, you're going to see um, Jaws, right? The guy from 007, the bad guy from 007. He's going to get like attacked by like, nine guys. Oh, well, the archaeologist just bit the dust. Not Max von Sydow, though. Ming the Merciless, he's all right. There he is. The big man himself, Jaws. You'll see this. This is this is like really quite quite interesting seeing Jaws just get attacked by like five, six guys. See, he's he's throwing people around like he's a wrestler, like he's Andre the Giant. And now Bilbo Baggins, he's like, all right, I need uh, four of you to go across the screen here. Four of you to go across the uh, desert. Get yourself set up. And then Jaws, he's just getting, got all these guys has covered him, just all over him. He's, he, has, he has a sword in him. And he's done. So Jaws is done. No more... No more going after Arabs. No more going after uh, the Bedouins. No, no more going after 007. Terrence Hill just saved by Max Van Saito. He's saved by Min Merciless. What's up with that? And now Gene Hackman wants uh, Terrence Hill to shoot the riders on the hill. Because those four riders are the real, they're really, uh, they're really the bad guys there. Oh, Terrence Hill's out of uh, ammo, and that's it. Here comes Gene Hackman's day. Boom, Gene Hackman's done. And that's it. They, it was almost like they went right after Gene Hackman. And now it's over. So it's done. It's like, so that all that, Bilbo Baggins had to go after Gene Hackman. There's maybe a handful, handful of uh, French Foreign Legion left, along with uh, Ming the Merciless, Terrence Hill, and Bilbo Baggins is like, "All right, our job is done here." <laughs> and they're off. They're walking off, and all these uh, French Foreign Legion guys are like, "I don't know what just happened." It's amazing. 
It's actually, you know what, it's, it's a battle scene. It's a very, very good battle scene. And the, uh, the, like I said, I can't praise the production guy enough because he mixed the weaponry great. I like the fact that some of them were, uh, some of the Bedouins were on camels, some of them were on horses, and it wasn't like one or the other. So that was, uh, that was really, really good. The archaeological site, you know, it is what it is. You know, the, the costumery, the costumes, right, as it were, um, well done. Not just French Foreign Legion, but the Bedouins uh, and uh, Ian Holmes' character. You know, just all of them, just almost perfect in in their uh, in their outfits. So you gotta you gotta give them props to that. Why is he kissing the dead guy? What is that? It must be a French thing. I don't know. Everybody salutes. Terrence Hill, who I think in this movie hated Gene Hackman the whole way, uh, now is res- respectful of his fallen uh, boss. And Ming the Merciless is just kind of standing there, kind of, man, this is this sucks. So there you go. So that's the... Uh, that's the final battle scene of March or Die, 1977, with Gene Hackman, Terrence Hill, Ming the Merciless, uh, Bilbo Baggins. But let's take a timeout. Still more to come on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Howdy ho, tip tip from Bernard, your uncle. It is time for the top five reveal. The question was asked, what is the best French Foreign Legion film? It was asked on Twitter at Shot and Shield and in the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. Your voice was heard, and here are the results. Number five, The Flying Deuces with Laurel and Hardy. Number four, Under Two Flags with Ronald Coleman. Number three, Ten Tall Men with Burt Lancaster. Number two, March or Die with Gene Hackman. And number one, of course, Bo Guest with Gary Cooper. Thanks to all of you who participated. The next top five question, what was the best last stand? The survey will be pinned on Twitter, at Shot and Shield, and in the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. So get your vote in today and hear the results in the next episode of the Shot and Shield Supercast. Thank you for continuing to listen to Shot and Shield, the Supercast. Today, brought to you by XPForge.com. This has been my source for 3D printed terrain and buildings. And as you know from other episodes, I love to scratch build. And when I need items that will help my builds pop, I go to XPForge.com. Have for like the last two years. Seriously, I needed some detailed scatter pieces for my Central Asian project. I went to XP Forge. I picked up some really, really nice, well-detailed rocky outcrops. I'm not allowed to carve styrofoam in my place. It's not going to happen. I need a little 3D print and help. XPForge.com provided that. I also picked up some 28mm camels for my Colonial Russian scratch build cavalry. 
because you know there's no Russian cavalry on camels anywhere on any site. So I got a scratch builder where I get my camels, xpforge.com. I also picked up these really, really nice 28 millimeter city walls for my imagination Turk mini caliphate. Very sweet, very nice, very detailed. But let me tell you this. You think I'm kidding? I got the receipts. So look, this is where I go for my tabletop gaming pop. If I want my table to pop, this is where I'm going, xpforge.com. Now, as you know, I've been focused on my Russian colonial and Central Asian project, and now xpforge.com has 28 millimeter Napoleonic figures. Tim, you're killing me, bro. XP Forge is killing me right now because I see these figures and they look so nice, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, have I, have I, am I about done with my Russian colonial? And the answer is no. But then I see these 28 millimeter Napoleonics. I'm like, oh, that's, uh, mm. do yourself a favor. Go check out xpforge.com for great 3D printing, great prices. And for you, the Shot and Shield listener, 15% off through December 31st. Use this coupon code SHOT15 for 15% off your order. That's the coupon code SHOT15 to save 15%. Go check it out right now xpforge.com. So I'm adding a new segment to the Shot and Shield Supercast. It's called Scenario Builder. So Scenario Builder is my chance to give you a scenario that I built for use with the rule set, The Men Who Would Be Kings by Osprey. Now, this is my preferred rule set. And I think if you want to adapt anything I'm about to talk about to like Sword in the Flame or any other rule set, I think you can do it. I like to use The Men Who Would Be Kings and so this is the scenario I've built for that rule set. So this episode's scenario is called Gunrunner. It's meant to be on a four by six table, and it runs the six foot length. Now, the objective is that colonial forces must run an armed shipment from one side of the table to the other. At the other end of the table is a friendly native force. They don't have any guns. Hence, Gunrunner. Now, the colonial forces will obviously face the enemy as they're traveling the length of the table. And the enemy forces are meant to prevent them from doing that. So that's the objective. The objective is for the colonial forces to get the guns from one end of the table to the other. And the objective for the opposition force is to prevent that. Easy, right? Now, you can build your force however you see fit. Your colonial force, you got 28 points. So you can put cavalry, infantry, it doesn't matter. However you want to do this but you have 28 points to do it with. Now, you could build your opposition force in the same manner, except it should be all tribal infantry using 48 points. And you should split these into six eight-point units. The friendly native forces are built on 16 points, and they only have melee weapons. And they don't have any guns until the colonial forces deliver it to them. So if your colonial force can arm the friendlies, then you'll be able to use them for short-range volleys which will obviously up your firepower. The colonial and friendly native forces get the first action. After that, the opposition force appear randomly six times. A roll of a six on the dice minus two determines how many units appear during the random encounter. My suggestion for randomness is to pull a deck of cards and each face card, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can work out how you're going to do the randomness, but my suggestion, what I've used is just a face card on a deck of cards. I don't think I left anything out. I am going to, I'm going to pin this to the Twitter and I'm going to pin this to the Facebook group. And I would suggest you feel free to manipulate it however you, you think it works. 
But uh, like I said, this is called Gun Runner. The objective is to get guns from one end of the table to the other, and in the middle, you're just facing all these different hostile forces. So this right here has been called Scenario Builder. So in the next few weeks, I'm probably going to have another Scenario Builder come out as like a bonus audio, because I have this one game in mind called The Anarchist. Sometime during uh, November, that bonus audio is going to drop. All right, still ahead on Shot and Shield, the Supercast. We're going to take a look at the WoFun Games Great Game line in a product review, and that's coming up next. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Shot and Shield. It's going to hurt you a lot more than it will me, I'm happy to say. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. Discipline makes the strength of armies. Shot and Shield. We continue with Shot and Shield, the Supercast. I am your humble servant, the Lord Scott of Florida. (laughs) So anyway, so since your humble host here focuses mainly on the great game in my miniatures and my wargaming, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to take a closer look at a new release from Wofun Games. Let me read you their press release. In his project update, we are happy to let you know that the great game collection 1865 to 1880 by Vlasheslav, by Vashishlov Batilov. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Anyway, it's available on our website. The Great Game was a political and diplomatic confrontation that existed for most of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century between the British Empire and the Russian Empire over Afghanistan and the neighboring territories in Central and South Asia. The collection includes 359 Wofun minis, lovely illustrated, representing Afghan troops, generic Middle Asian troops, Russian and British armies. Vlasheslav created this collection following the army structure from Daniel Mercy's colonial wargaming rules, The Men Who Would Be Kings, published by Osprey Wargames. Have a great weekend, the Wofun team. So that's their press release. And... You know, since they used the men who would be kings, my system went, whoa, 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 exactly. So I, I, what I wanted to do, I, I took a look at the figures. I wanted to break this down into three parts. The art, the feel, and the gameplay. First, let's talk about the art. Vashislav Batilov is brilliant. Put that right out there. Brilliant. The figures pop. He nails each unit represented in the great game set. The Russians, the British, the Afghans, the Central Asians. The art is spot on. 
Even though the Central Asians are a little on the generic side, they still represent some really good art. And they represent Central Asia pretty well. The colors are correct, and they pop without being cartoony. They're serious pictures. Again, without being overly dramatic and not cartoony. So I'm loving the artistry here. Next, let's talk about the look. This is where you're going to have to decide. All right, take a look at them at the Wofun uh, website. This is my first experience with Wofun as a company. Each game piece in their line is 2D. Whether it's the Great Game set or the Napoleonic line or the Texas War of Independence line, it's still 2D. Paintings on plexiglass. The art on all of Wofun's game lines are outstanding, so there's no, no issue. It does remind me a little of Stratego, the board game for Milton Bradley, right? Except it's like way more professional and way more detailed. If you're not a painter, or better yet, if you're not a confident painter, and you just love the war game, this is going to be great for you. You're going to love this. Finally, let's go to gameplay. As I said earlier, this excited me because the whole set of Wofun's great game line is developed for use with the Men Who Would Be Kings rule set. This is the rule set I use for everything. Everything. At least in all my colonial and my 19th century wargaming, this is what I use. So for me, the gameplay is perfect. However, this is where there might be a little issue. If you use Sword in the Flame, for instance, you're going to have to decide how to utilize the Wolfun figures. You're going to have to do quite a bit of math to figure out what extra you're going to have to get or what you're going to have to take away. And you're going to have to do that before you start your gameplay. So if you're using another rule set, this might be a little difficult for you because you got to work out the math. Overall, I got to tell you, I think that Vlasislav Batalov, his artistry is so on point, it's ridiculous. I think that if you're more interested in wargaming and not painting, this set is going to be ideal, ideal for you. And because the great game line is designed for the same rule set that I use, I obviously love it. But if you use a different rule set, you're going to have to go figure out kind of what you're going to have to get or take away to make your game run. So overall, looking at the great game collection from Wofun, I like it. I like it. I think it's good. And like I said, especially if you're somebody who doesn't like to paint or you're not a confident painter and maybe you think you suck or something like that, you know, it's like, and you just want a war game. This is such a great set. And I've seen a couple of, uh, there's been a couple of videos out there of guys playing with the Wofun uh, figures. It looks pretty good. So, you know what? I'm excited. I'm excited to have uh, this set out there in the ethos for uh, everybody to uh, take a look at. So still to come on the Shot and Shield Supercast, I play Archaeologist. I have this audio find for you that uh, you might find real interesting. Now that's coming up next on Shot and Shield. This is Shot and Shield. Oh, oh, honor is satisfied. God clearly preserves you for greatness. So I have a giveaway for you. Twelve. 28 millimeter British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, which are perfect for the Crimean War. They're already primed, they're already mounted, and ready to paint. Anyone who follows Shot and Shield on Twitter or on the Shot and Shield Facebook group is entered to win. The Shot and Shield Twitter, at Shot and Shield. The Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. These are from my personal collection, and Perry's is not affiliated with this giveaway. Absolutely no purchase necessary. You have until November 25th to follow us on Twitter at Shot and Shield or on the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. 
It's going to be a random drawing, and the winner will be notified via DM and will be announced on the December 1st Shot and Shield episode. Get on the giveaway now. Remember, 12 28mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards from Perry's, again, which is perfect for the Crimean War. Get in on the giveaway now. What are you waiting for? Come on, come on! Shot and Shield, your colonial wargaming podcast. The 19th century ended amid the glories of the Victorian era. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to wargaming the colonial era. In those aristocratic Victorian days, when, as Disraeli said, the world was for the few and for the very few. The views expressed during Shot and Shield are the hosts and only meant to be taken seriously if you feel it's necessary. Good luck against those elephants. Quickly, I want to remind you about xpforge.com and the special coupon code for you, the Shot and Shield listener. SHOT15 for 15% off your order through December 31st. Remember, the coupon code is SHOT15 for 15% off your order at xpforge.com. Great company sponsoring today's Shot and Shield Supercast as we continue. And once again, thank you for listening to Shot and Shield. For this segment, I am audio archaeologist, Dr. Phineas J. Scott, and I love to dig up audio gems that I found in my archaeological digs. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. So yeah, so I, I love old-time radio. I really do. And sometimes I find stuff that actually makes sense and helps inspire us in our wargaming. So what I have for you today is an old-time radio short called... That was the year, 1896. This show is from uh, 1937. The clips of That Was the Year, 1896, I only clipped out the pieces that actually pertain to what we do. But I did find that this particular episode of That Was the Year to be particularly interesting because it has this compelling tale about South Africa, the Boers, and the Russian Tsar, hence the colonial and 19th century connection, right? So I'm going to hit play, want you to give it a listen, and I'll have some thoughts afterwards. That was the year, recreating notable events of passing time, reviving memories of men and women who have contributed to the history of a modern world. 1896, that was the year. The annals of every year since time began hold the history of at least one event that by the sheer shock of its violent audacity, remains long in the minds of men. Such an event was the memorable Jameson Raid, which had its culmination in the year 1896. Previously, for a long period of time, there had existed in South Africa bitter rivalry between the Boers of Dutch descent and the Uitlanders of British, Belgian, and French descent. The British settlers felt keenly that the Boers, under the leadership of President of the Transvaal Republic, Paul Kruger, by excessive taxes, high-handed control of elections, control of the courts, inadequate schools, and by any means at hand, were forcing British capital and British industry from the rich mineral lands of the Transvaal. It is July of 1896, in the Queen's Bench Division of the High Court of Justice in London, England. Now, my lords, gentlemen of the jury, allow me to review briefly the sequence of plotting which led directly to this most unfortunate occurrence the so-called Jameson Raid. Granted, 
that within the hearts of these men there burn the unquenchable longing for a voice in the government of the Transvaal Republic in South Africa. For example, there was the ill-advised and inauspicious manifesto issued by Charles Leonard. What do we want? We want, first, the establishment of this republic as a true republic. Second, a constitution which shall be framed by competent persons selected by representatives of the whole people. Third, an equitable franchise law and fair representation. Fourth, equality of the Dutch and English languages. Fifth, responsibility of the legislature to the heads of the great departments. Sixth, removal of religious disabilities. Seventh, independence of the courts of justice. Eighth, liberal and comprehensive education. Ninth, efficient civil service with adequate provision for pay and pension. Tenth, free trade in South African products. That is what we want. That, my lord, was the fence spark which touched off this whole affair. Next, we know that last year, Dr. Jameson and Her Majesty's own premier in Cape Colony, Cecil Rhodes... But, Cecil, we must have action, and we need your help. Very well, Jim. I shall stand with you. Good. Now, here are the plans. I shall gather a force of about 800 men at the Transvaal border. And now, my I shall remain until Gentlemen, we have also presented into evidence the deciphered secret messages sent between certain parties to this conspiracy. December 23rd, 1895. To Dr. Jameson, Pitsenny. Company will be floated next Saturday, 12 o'clock night. They very anxious you must not start before Saturday night and secure telegraph silence. We suspect Transvaal getting away slightly. Harris, Cape Town. What does Harris mean? Must not start before Saturday night. We're ready to start now, and by gad, we're going to start. This cause must not be lost. And now, we know that Dr. Jameson did start. That word reached the Reform Committee in Johannesburg that Cecil Rhodes' brother, Colonel Francis Rhodes, distributed arms among the Uitlanders in that city. That Jameson and his so-called raiders were met and captured at Turnkop by the Boer forces. Shortly after, we all know Cecil Rhodes was found to have acted in a manner inconsistent with his duties as Prime Minister of Cape Colony and resigned his premiership in January of this year. If these men now facing English justice are not punished by the Crown for their part in this Jameson raid, the government will be guilty of rescinding their agreement to the President... Late in the afternoon of July 28, 1896... The prisoners will stand and face the court to receive sentence. You have all been found guilty by a jury of your peers on charges of violating the Foreign Enlistment Act, and it is now the duty of this court to mete out sentences commensurate with your guilt. Dr. Leander Starr Jameson, this court sentences you to 15 months' imprisonment in Holloway Prison without labor. Major John Willoughby, this court sentences you to send... And so ended the hapless Jameson raid. But the effects of this move were to be long-lasting, finding their culmination in the Boer War, the flight of Paul Kruger, and the complete and permanent control of Great Britain in the South African territories under question. And although Cecil John Rhodes had resigned as Premier of Cape Colony, he did not cease his tireless efforts in behalf of his beloved Queen and her government. Sunday. August 23, 1896, Bulawayo, South Africa. The chieftains and warriors of the belligerent Matabele tribes are gathered for a conference with the white chieftains. Finally, a horse gallops into view, comes to a halt near the natives. Cecil Rhodes dismounts, strides to the most befeathered of the Matabele chiefs. 
Sakumbo, my brother, I greet you. Huh. White Bwana Rhodes Moga, I greet you. You carry gun? No, Sakumbo. I am unarmed. Huh. I come to you and your warriors to tell you you must not fight your English brothers. We make peace with condition. Yes? And what is the condition, Sakumbo? You must stay here. I? You must stay here, South Africa. Watch over Sakumbo and his warriors. Yes, Sakumbo. I'll not leave you. I shall remain in South Africa. Good. Then we lay down gun and assegai. Basi! Basi! Now, Sekumbo and warrior make peace. Thank you, Sekumbo. This, this sort of thing is enough to make life worth living. Eighteen ninety-six. That was the year. Moscow, Russia, May 26. In the awesome, hushed atmosphere of the Cathedral of the Assumption, in a small anteroom stand two gorgeously robed figures, Nicholas Alexandrovich Romanov and his wife, Alexandra Feodorovna. Nicholas, we shall soon be Tsar and Tsarina of all the Russians. Ah, yes. What worries you, Nicholas? All this day you have been suffering. Alexandra... I am not prepared for this great task. Oh, why do you say that? You are the most regal no, of all. No, no. A monarch must do more than wear uniforms. He must shoulder more than a robe of ermine. There have been ill omens today. Omens? Yes. Signs which bode ill for my reign. In the festival celebrating our coronation, 3,000 of my subjects were trampled to death. Festival! And just now, as we came to the steps of the cathedral... The imperial chain fell from my breast. Mark you, Alexandra. Mark what I say. The reign of Nicholas II is doomed. Your imperial majesties, everything is ready. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. Come, Alexandra. The death march is being played for us. Twenty-two years later, in the torch-lit cellar of a house in Tobolsk, Nicholas Alexandrovich, last of the Romanov dynasty, which had occupied a trembling throne for three centuries, his empress and their five children, were shot to death by a Soviet commissar. 1896, that was the year. So that was called That Was the Year, 1896, uh, from uh, 1937 radio. Now, can I... <laughs> I find it, you know, I listen to that and I just kind of laugh a little bit because this is where we sit in time. They make Cecil Rhodes out to be this like heroic figure, tirelessly working for the Union of South Africa and connecting South Africa with Egypt because he was in love with Queen Victoria, you know, and really he was doing it for cash. <laughs> he was doing it for his own good. Oh my God, that's hysterical. And also making Nicholas. Tsar Nicholas out to be this dour sort of so worried about the future when really he was probably very, very stoic. And if you've seen any of the uh, movies or read anything about Nicholas at all, I don't think he was that, he wasn't that dour. He wasn't that down and depressed. You know, dude's about ready to become like the, the czar of all Russia. You know, he's, he's all worried. <laughs> so I find that pretty interesting. But anyway, 
that was a little audio find during my audio archaeology. So I am Dr. Phidias J. Scott. Still to come on the Shot and Shield Supercast, we close the show. This is Shot and Shield. I hear that conditions in your army are appalling. Man, I'm sorry, but those are my conditions, and you'll just have to accept them. So I want to take this opportunity to thank you very much for listening to the Shot and Shield Supercast. You can connect with the Shot and Shield Supercast and yours truly, your humble servant, Scott, the Lord Privy of Florida, through Twitter, at Shot and Shield. On YouTube, just search out Shot and Shield. We have a lot of information on there. We have a lot of videos on there, a lot of things that I think you'll be interested in. You can email me at shotandshield at gmail.com. And then don't forget the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Wargaming Podcast group. I ask you to join. I ask you to email. I ask you to Twitter. And I ask you to check out YouTube. And I ask you to have fun wargaming. Because that's what we're here to do, right? Exactly. Shot and Shield. A podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. This is Shot and Shield. So to wrap up, remember this episode of Shot and Shield, the Supercast has been brought to you by XPForge.com. My source for 3D printed terrain buildings and now 28mm Napoleonic figures and military vehicles don't forget, the Shot and Shield listener gets 15% off through December 31st. Here's the coupon code once again, SHOT15 for 15% off your order. That's SHOT15 to save 15%. Go now and check it out, xpforge.com. Now, there's so many people I would like to thank. I'd like to thank Tim over at xpforge.com for sponsoring this episode of Shot and Shield. I want to thank Bob Merch for joining me today on Shot and Shield to talk about Movember, men's health, and then just having a great chat. I really do appreciate it. Bob's class act, great guy, and I'd like to thank him so much for joining me today on Shot and Shield. Don't forget to sign up for the Twitter page, at Shot and Shield. Don't forget to sign up for the Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast War Game Group, and don't forget about the 1228mm British Intervention Force 1860 Grenadier Guards I'm giving away. I want to make somebody really happy, so get in on the giveaway now. I'd like to thank you for listening. In Malmo, Sweden, Reading, England, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and all around the world, thank you very much. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, the podcast dedicated to colonial and 19th century wargaming. I have been Lord Scott of Florida. Thank you. I'm out. Oh, damn. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity. 13!